Ryan Shaharazani, and in the news, a new Israeli government in Israel. It's only been a few days since the establishment of Israel's new government under Prime Minister Naftali Bennett. We still have to get used to the sound. And it's already facing security and legislative challenges. What lies ahead for the government? What are the chances of success for this new and diverse Israeli coalition? And are we expecting to see a change vis-a-vis -vis the relationship between Israel and the greater Jewish world and the community here in the United States? For this purpose and much more, I am absolutely thrilled to have with me today our dear friend, Kobe Cohen on JBS. Kobe is an Israeli political analyst and the host of Balagan, the most appropriate of names, meaning mess and utter chaos, Israeli politics and society podcast. Kobe, it's a pleasure to have you again with us. How are you? I'm doing great, Shachar. Uh, thank you for having me again. And yes, it is a, an exciting day. What's so exciting say. about it? So there is a change. I mean, it's hard to say how the change is going to be. But the fact that you have a different prime minister and a different government that most of its parties were in the opposition for many years, uh, I think can shed light on, you know, on their ambition to really show themselves and prove themselves to the people. I think that, you know, over time when you look at it, uh, the coalition of the Likud and the ultra-Orthodox proved itself to be very efficient but not always working for the people, but working to preserve the, the, you know, the governance, the ruling, I would say. Um, but now we have a new coalition. It's completely eclectic. We need to remember that we have eight parties, member of this coalition. If we'll go back to the 80s, and we're going to talk uh, about a unity government, as they like to call it in Israel. The unity government was made out of two parties that the two of them, they had a couple of smaller parties with them. But the two major parties at that time, the Labour and the Likud, were almost 80, if I remember correctly, 84 mandates together out of 120 uh, members of the Knesset in total, which means two thirds of the house. Now, this unity government is, has 62 mandates, 62 seats in a good day. And I'm saying in a good day because we, we already have one member of the Knesset from Yamina, from Naftali Bennett's party, who voted against the government. Another member of the Knesset from Ra'am, the, uh, the Muslim uh, uh, party, Saeed al-Kharoumi, who abstained voting uh, when the voting happened. And member of the Knesset, Eli Avidar of Israel Beitenu, who already got into a fight with his leader, um, Avigdor Lieberman, and he said that he's gonna be a free voter. He voted with the government, uh, when they swore oath, but he's not committed to, he says that he's not committed to the other voting. So, Kobe, fractured, fractured coalition indeed, 60 to 59, uh, the government was sworn in. But before we get into the, the individual question, I want to ask you two quick questions with regards to the framework. Um, the assumption is that the foundations for this diverse coalition were laid by former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu himself. And what I mean is, first, let's talk about the participation of the Islamic movement. The fact that you have Mansour Abbas as part of this coalition uh, could not have happened without Benjamin Netanyahu paving the way forward for an Arab party and for specifically Mansour Abbas's party to be part of the coalition. Do you agree? So I agree. I think that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu have paved the way 
to add uh, um, an Arabic uh, party to the coalition. And I will say that Naftali Bennett and Gidon Saar and Avigdor Lieberman, who the three of them are uh, right-wing parties, Yamina, Israel Beitenu, and uh, New Hope, Gidon Saar's uh, uh, party, they didn't move an inch from, what, from the path that Netanyahu paved. They didn't go with the joint list who is more secular, more, uh, um, some parts of it are more, uh, are more moderate, okay? They didn't try to add them to the coalition. And eventually the joint list voted against the coalition with, with Netanyahu. So they haven't moved an inch from the, from the, from the path that Netanyahu has opened. I mean, because at the end of the day, when you go back to last year, uh, at the time, Benny Gantz had an option to establish a government for blue and white with the support of the Arab members of Knesset, of the joint Arab list. That move was supposedly inconceivable until in the course of a year, Netanyahu legitimized the move. And I think in doing so, changed the face of Israeli politics forever. I agree with you. And I, I must say that there are two members of the Knesset that need, you know, that uh, the people need to ask one question. And those are Yoaz Hendel and Tzvi Hauser, who formed a party called Derech Eretz, okay, after they split from, uh, from uh, blue and white. And they were against, you know, forming a coalition with the Arab votes. They could have prevented it or made a different decision a year ago, and just like all the other right-wing members, they were so scared of what Netanyahu will say, and that's his greatest success, that everybody's working by what, what Netanyahu will do or what Netanyahu will say. We spoke about Arab participation in the coalition, a really great feat paved by Netanyahu and indeed used by the Bennett-Lapid government. And then we have another structure, structure that we've never known before, that was only created last year, again, by the same Prime Minister Netanyahu and Benny Gantz, the institution of the Prime Minister and the alternative Prime Minister, a right. structure to which uh, Yari Lapid and Naftali Bennett simply elegantly slid into uh, and created their own coalition. What's your view on this structure? Is this how Israeli politics is going to be managed from now on? My concern is that uh, what happened now between Naftali Bennett and, and uh, uh, Yair Lapid has created a, a new way of thinking in Israeli politics that he doesn't have to be the leader of the, of the largest party. And it, it's a big problem because we used to have, uh, you know, the one or two uh, members of the Knesset, as we say in Hebrew, kol mamzer melech. I don't know what's the equivalent sentence to it in, uh, in English, but the government can be blackmailed or the coalition can be blackmailed by a single member of the Knesset. And technically, you know, it is, co it, it is kosher what happened between Yair Lapid and, and uh, Naftali Bennett, because eventually we're not in a presidential uh, system, we're in a parliamentary system. So all you needed to form the coalition and to approve the government, to, uh, to, to vote for the government is to get a, a majority. Uh, but I think that publicly it is, it is a problem uh, we need to remember that now, these days, okay, I don't know what will happen in a year from now. Yeah, Naftali Bennett is one of the last, you know, it ha what happened to him is what happened to Benny Gantz when Benny Gantz went into a coalition with Netanyahu. 
נפתלי בנט doesn't pass the thresholds at the moment with his uh, Yamina party. So he's the most unpopular uh, prime minister, um, whoever, uh, whoever swore on so, so let's, let's touch upon this for a minute, because even though structurally speaking, the, it seems like it's the same, a, uh, a prime minister and an alternative prime minister, similar to what we had with Netanyahu and Gantz, like you say now, Kobe, the situation is very, very different. Yeah. In this structure of power between Bennett and Lapid, it seems that Lapid is the one holding most of the power. Lapid is the one controlling the, uh, the, the majority because his fact has 17 members of of Knesset and you know the the parties that are more aligned with him so with him holding much more power and with Naftali Bennett as you indicate may not even pass the electoral threshold had elections taken place today in Israel what does that tell us about Naftali Bennett's ability to govern and being an actual prime minister similar or dissimilar to the one Netanyahu was last year so I will say that I don't think that uh, the fact that uh, the Tiar Lapid has the power as the upper hand uh, will challenge Naftali Bennett. I think that this coalition is very fragile, but they all share the same interest and that's to survive. So they are doomed to succeed. If they will fail, um, most of them will fall together. The only one who's, uh, who's enjoying, who grew his popularity at the moment is actually Yair Lapid and Yesh Shatid party. Uh, and the right-wing parties, besides uh, uh, Avigdor Lieberman, who keeps his power, um, you know, Naftali Bennett doesn't pass the electoral thresholds. Uh, New Hope is, is uh, also getting from six mandates now to four mandates in the thresholds. They have no interest of going to a new, gov- into going to a new round of election. And also with labor and, uh, and merits. They need to prove themselves the same with Mansour Abbas, who's, who also um, was slammed hard in the Arab sector, not only by the joint, uh, the joint list people, but also from his own people. Uh, because once again, we already had challenges. Uh, when I mentioned Saeed al-Kharoumi of Ram, the, the reason he abstained was that the morning of, of the voting, okay, on Sunday morning, Surprisingly, the police arrived um, to an unknown Bedouin village called Bir Hadaj, which is a huge um, power, power of uh, a, a big base of power of uh, support for uh, Saeed Al Kharoumi, and they came with warrants telling the people, "Okay, you need to, um, you know, you have 14 days to leave the place, and we're going to demolish the houses." It wasn't. It wasn't uh, okay that innocent that they came that day. There was a lot of pressure uh, put on a lot of members of the formed coalition to, uh, you know, to vote against or to not to show up to the voting and fail this coalition. Um, it's, also true, it's also true to say, Kobe, that um, some members of the joint Arab list, not uh, Mansour Abbas, but the other, Ayman Ode and Tibi, a specifically member of Knesset Ahmad Tibi, indicated that in case of emergency or if the uh, right. government would face difficulties, he would come in and, you know, make sure to allow this government to pass because they so wanted uh, former Prime Minister Netanyahu out. Was that not the case? And does that not mean... Okay that in actual reality, the coalition, even though it doesn't seem so, is wider 
than what is seen in 60 uh, as of uh, um, compared to 59. It's a bit wider because of those members of the Joint Arab List. Yes and no. And I will give you an, an example. <clears throat> On uh, Tuesday, the same, actually uh, Wednesday morning, there was a vote on uh, what we called um, families unity uh, law. And that's a, that's a um, security law that doesn't allow Palestinians uh, and Israeli Arabs to, um, you know, to, to, re to reform, to form a house in, in Israel. They need to go through a procedure. Usually if they let the Palestinian get into Israel, he doesn't get citizenship. He only gets residency. And the, the government, the coalition was trying to um, extend this, uh, well, it's not exactly a law, it's a Horaat Sha'a, it's called. Temporary ordinance. Temporary ordinance. And what happened was, is actually that the Likud failed this, uh, failed this uh, voting with Ram from the coalition and the joint list. Now you will say that this is, you know, it's, it's, strictly a security issue for Israel, you know, with everything that we're saying, uh, keeping the Jewish majority. So why would the Likud vote against it? And why would it, you know, it's easy for the Likud to, to go and, and uh, join forces with the Arab parties when it's in their uh, favor. And now they're trying to blackmail the coalition that they won't vote with the coalition on this matter, which is definitely a national security issue, okay? if they're not going to get anything in return. Well, you know, the What's of, happening in Israel, it's completely, you yeah, know... At the end of the day, in Israel, like you say, Kobe, politics is politics. We remember, I specifically remember from Netanyahu's first term, there was, um, there was a moment where um, a no-confidence vote was brought before the Knesset on the issue of building in East Jerusalem. Right. And instead of supporting the government of Rabin, I believe at the time, Netanyahu chose to go, the, uh, the opposition, Netanyahu chose to go with the Arabs and vote against the government because he said the issue is not Jerusalem, the issue is toppling the government. That's the greater interest. So I believe in this regard, they're following the same rule. But I, I do want to push you a little bit on this and ask you, under these circumstances, and even though they survive day by day, what are the chances of this coalition being as diverse as it is, being as, as so you know, different and made of extremes to actually survive long-term and bring about the change, knowing that you have a very skilled and talented opposition and a leader of opposition in the form of Benjamin Netanyahu? With no, with no uh, boundaries. I would say. So that's a great question. And it all depends on the budget. You mentioned uh, that Netanyahu is head of opposition in the 90s, voted with the Arab parties um, it, it, when they tried to impeach Netanyahu, uh, when they tried to impeach Prime Minister Rabin. So here is the thing. The only challenge this government is facing now is if they don't pass a budget. Because for passing a budget, you need an absolute majority, which means 61 members of the Knesset to vote for the budget. If they pass a bi-yearly budget, then they are secured until 2023, or you know, at the, the end of 2023, if to be exact. Um, and, and that will give them enough runway to work things out. The, now, their challenge is to see if they can relay on any, of, on any two of those three uh, members of the Knesset 
But Kobe, you know, the, the Tarlut Cannons. But when it comes to passing the budget, um, is there not op no option for the opposition to bring forth a vote of no confidence against the government in the hope of garnering a majority? So the, here is the thing. The there was a change in ruling in Israel a couple of years ago saying that if you want to uh, cast a vote of non-confidence in the government, you need to prove that you have 61 signatures, that you have an absolute majority of uh, members of the Knesset signing this, uh, um, this cat, and that you can, do, you prove that you can uh, set an alternate coalition. You cannot, you cannot uh, overrun the, 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 the government, sorry, uh, in this way anymore. It's really hard, they made it hard, especially because the opposition starting by the way, when uh, Netanyahu was the head of opposition in 1992, was slamming the, you know, Rabin's government in the Knesset almost on a daily basis, um, you know, cast, placing those votes. And it, it was tiring, it was tiring. So at one point, you know, the coalition decided to change the game. They said, you can, uh, um, you can you can vote against the government. It's okay, but if you want to replace the government, you need to prove that you have a coalition to set up in place. Let's talk about cohesion <clears throat> for a minute. Um, a lot of people are saying that the fall of the uh, recent government headed by Netanyahu and Gantz was not so much because of its fractured political structure, but because of the lack of trust between the individuals and specifically what Prime Minister Netanyahu did to Benny Gantz in the course of the year that they spent together since joining him in this coalition. The a behavior that supposedly prevented other politicians from signing any kind of deal with Netanyahu in this uh, past uh, round of elections. And now what they say, similarly, by the way, is that what's gonna keep this together is the cordial relationships between what is termed uh, colloquially, I think in Israel as the brothers, Bennett and Lapid, their relationship, their uh, uh, conflict resolution management, uh, their decision-making system. How true is it? And how true is it in general in politics that it is friendship that's gonna keep it together? You don't need to be a friend uh, to keep it together, you need to have to share to share the interests. The unity government of that uh, that worked from 1984 to 1988, um, there was no trust. I mean, Shimon Peres and Itzhak Shamir hated each other. There was actually a real concern on the Likud side that uh, that uh, Shimon Peres will uh, will be committed to to the agreement, but none of them thought to do, uh, you know, a, to change the law and to have a par government and all of that in order to enforce all of that because eventually they were gentlemen. And I'm sorry to say, but I think that some of the members of the Knesset are like a den of thieves now and they are not trustworthy. I think that what, what actually uh, Yair Lapid did was a very brave step from, from his end because there is always a chance that if, uh, you know, Naftali Bennett will see that he's gaining power prior to the end of his term, he may, uh, you know, break the package. But on this case, you know, based on the agreement and based on the law that they changed again, the, the government law, then uh, Yair Lapid will become the prime minister and Yair Lapid gains a lot of popularity because of these moves. 
he shows he shows that he's thinking he shows that he's willing in order to make the change happen to trust somebody that if we'll go back you're mentioning the brothers the uh, pack okay it didn't work uh, that well it worked in 2013 and it was actually Yair Lapid who told who forced Netanyahu to add Naftali Bennett to the coalition Yair, uh, Netanyahu was unwilling to add uh, Abaita Yehudi at that time, okay? It was um, the Jewish home, as they were called. It was the new Mafdal. And actually, it was Yair Lapid who told Netanyahu, I'm not entering without uh, Bennett. And when uh, Netanyahu, you know, um, fired uh, Yair Lapid two years later, Bennett didn't do anything to help Yair Lapid, so I don't know what type of a family it is, but I'm sure that Yair Lapid learned the lesson, and it's not that he's really trusting Bennett, but he knows that at the moment, Bennett has no interest to, you know, to break the package. So I think that, you know, this government will be at least for two and a half years. Hopefully it will be for more, and I, hopefully it will do good for the people of Israel. That's, I think. That's the most important thing that we need to remember. The government is supposed to serve the people, It's supposed Agreed. to serve the nation. Agreed, and we, we do hope for a political stability. I want to ask you about another interesting um, um, characteristic of that partnership between them, guided by survival, as you so aptly say. In 2013, when they entered the Netanyahu government at the time, that included, by the way, Tsipi Livni as well, uh, yeah. in addition to Yair Lapid and Naftali Bennett, the ultra-Orthodox remained outside. And here we are again, eight years later in 2021, and the Bennett-Lapid duo again create a government uh, and a coalition in, in which the Haredis, the ultra-Orthodox, are outside. Why is that, Kobe? Is this on purpose, or is this the nature of the relationship between Bennett and the ultra-Orthodox? How come this is a situation every time? Is it intentional? So to make a long story short, until Netanyahu bind with the ultra-Orthodox in 2015 and made it, a, I would say, a Catholic wedding, um, the ultra-Orthodox used to go with everybody. They used to go, they, they went with Mapai, They were officially, by the way, the first time the ultra-Orthodox were members of the coalition uh, was actually under Begin. Begin was the first one to add them as cabinet members to the coalition. Um, but, they, but they played along with Perez, they played along with Rabin as well, and they played along, um, you know, with Ehud Barak until a certain point. Shas was a member of uh, Ehud Barak's coalition. But, okay, Over time, they saw that they get a lot from Netanyahu. Also, another thing that was happened is that the ultra-Orthodox uh, in Israel are leaning way more to the right at the moment. Arya Derry knows that, he, that he, if he's going to ban Netanyahu, Shas is going to lose mandates because a lot of, the, a lot of their voters will vote for, uh, for, uh, for the Likud. Same happened, by the way, with Duty J. UTJ lost a mandate to Bezalel Smutrich's uh, religious Zionism. What's the connection between UTJ and Zionism? Or what, we can discuss what's the connection between Smutrich and Benvir to Zionism. That's a different story. But what's the connection with, between a party that doesn't put a minister because they don't want to swear oath to the government, to, to the state of Israel, you know, uh, to a Zionism, You know, it's only based on their or, or nationalism and uh, Arab hatred. 
So both of these parties, you know, are very scared that if they're going to leave Netanyahu, they're going to lose, uh, they're going to lose voters. But is this, in a tough situation, is this because of the right wing or is this because of Benjamin Netanyahu himself being a semi-mythological political figure in Israel? I don't think it's up to him. I mean, the ultra-Orthodox have no God when it comes to their interests. Um, I think they were blinded by Netanyahu. They actually thought that they will be able to force, by the way, Bezalel Smutrich, okay, to, to agree to a right-wing ultra-Orthodox coalition based on, on uh, the votes of the four members of Ram party. And because that didn't work and they put all of their eggs you know, in one nest, they lost. But it, I think that it's a temporary loss. And I actually think that at one point, um, you know, this coalition, especially because it's very fragile, will try to pull at least one of the parties in. Most likely, if they'll be able to do it, it will be UTJ. And once again, it will be because of shared interests. I don't know how it will work, for example, with Israel Beitenu and uh, Avigdor Lieberman. Uh, but I think that there is... You know, this government has a lot of potential. Honestly, I doubt if they will fulfill their, what they're, what, you know, what the changes they, they can and should do. Because the, there is a big gap between the ultra-Orthodox leadership and the ultra-Orthodox people. The Haredim in Israel are the poorest society in Israel, okay? And they are based a lot on the, on the funding from the government. They don't work like here in the U.S., and in other places in the world, they are only based on, 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 on what we call kitzbaot and social security. And that's a shame. They need to get education. They need to be a part of the workforce in Israel. They need to be a part of the Israeli society and stop living in, in, uh, you know, in the shtetl. Kobe, um, I just, just to uh, take you back for a minute because I see we're uh, nearing the end of our uh, very short time together. I want to ask you about a name that hasn't been mentioned often enough and maybe you can share it with our viewers um, who can enjoy your knowledge in the political uh, sphere in Israel. Merav Michaeli, the head of the uh, Israeli Labor Party, who has been a constant feature in the Israeli opposition for years and now sees herself as Minister of Transportation in Israel. Tell us a few words about her, um, what to expect of her, who is she, from what you know and you've known over the years. So Merav Michaeli is a, is a really interesting story because she was able, you know, to bring life back into the Labour Party. If we will go back a year ago, after Amir Peretz and Itzik Shmuli, um, who, Amir Peretz was the leader of, the last leader of the Labour Party, Joined, decided to join Netanyahu's coalition, the Labour crashed in the thresholds. They didn't pass the thresholds. Merav Michaeli refused to give up. She decided to lead uh, an internal opposition within the Labour Party. She got a huge support from a lot of uh, members of the, of the Labour Party who said that it doesn't make any sense to join forces with Netanyahu again. You know, we need to start building a new, the, the part, rebuild the party and, and draw new blood. Her, if you look at her party, most of the faces are, are, are unrecognized. Most of them are new people in the, in, the, in the political sphere, especially in the Labour Party. I mean, some of them were, they are a part of the Labour Party for years, 
but they were not a part of the big players. And what she was able to do is really to transform, you know, um, the, the Labour Party, and I would say to, make, to do a makeover to the party. The main question is if she will be able to change the DNA of the Labour Party, because she was, I think that she did an amazing work, especially by the way, I would say that both her and Meretz gave a lot and walk a long way in order to make this coalition um, very proud. Very true. I mean, the fact that they were willing, Merav Michaeli has seven, seven members of the Knesset, and Naftali Bennett has seven members, but now he's already at six, and he was almost at five. You Kobe, know, so... Kobe, I could listen to you for, for hours, and yeah. I just want to thank you for joining us and for enlightening us on the Israeli political sphere. I know that this is far from the last time we're going to do it together. Thank you so much for uh, coming on JBS today. Thank you, Shachar, and thank you to our audience, and Techi Medinat Israel. Good luck to the new government. Indeed. Thank you so much, Kobe. Your insights are always meaningful, and I share with you the hope for Israeli political stability long-term and the passage of budget that's so important for the survival, not just of our politicians, but of our country. I'd like to thank you all for watching, and to all we say, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay happy and optimistic. I'd like to thank our director, Sloan Copeland, JBS's managing director, Dara Golub, our technical manager, Michael Paley, transmission manager, John McDevitt, and to our wonderful producer of In the News, Carol Lilienthal. For JBS, I'm Shachar Azani. Until next time, shalom and lehitraot. See you all soon.